Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. You can be that servant one day. I hope to preach like that. You guys glad to be here? I know you had a hard time finding a seat. Just tell your neighbor, scoot over. No, we're glad you made it in. Um, the snow hit at a very inconvenient time this morning. I was in my office at 6 a.m., as I normally do on Sunday morning, and um, I was just studying and praying, had no idea what was going on outside. Uh, came out of my office at 8 o'clock and heard people talking about snow, and I thought, well, they must be talking about something that's coming until I turned my head this way and looked outside and saw two inches on the ground that had come since I arrived here. Uh, But thank you so much for being here. I'm excited about the message, so excited that uh, our production team has made this available not only online as we always do and through our Bethesda app, but it's also available on Facebook Live as we speak. So we do welcome our online family. Um, Very important message today that I want to share with you. And um, it's going to be somewhat practical and spiritual, and, and I believe that you're going to get some things out of it. But it uh, being Super Bowl Sunday, and we are here celebrating teamwork, um, before we, we get into all of that, um, what I found out in the first two services is most people don't care if the Eagles win or the Patriots. Most people just, they have the mindset, I don't care who wins, right? If you're like me, all you care about tonight is the food, right, that comes with the game. Um, and so... Um, We're celebrating teamwork, and with that being said, we're going to close out our all-in series, and I want to explain the jersey, because I've seen the looks. I thought he was a Redskins fan. I am a Redskins fan, but the one jersey I had, you guys wouldn't know his name probably, and it was two sizes too big, because I've lost weight. Uh, So I was in Atlanta this week, and I saw this jersey, and it took me back to my teenage years, because I had this jersey as a teenager Primetime Neon Dion Sanders, all right? So I'm not a Falcons fan. I was a primetime fan, okay? I am a Redskins. I want it to be noted. Everybody watching, I'm a Redskins fan. Okay, so as we dive in, I want to talk to you about this thought. I want to call this hands up, hands under, and hands on. My passion as a pastor, as a leader, is to Um, make sure that you become great. When I see people at Bethesda Church becoming great, doing well, whether that be in church leadership or in business, that makes me happy. I love to see people succeed and, and really step into the potential that God has given to them. And what we have to know is that the kingdom we have been preaching, we've been talking about the kingdom since the 1st of January, the kingdom that we have been preaching is, is the message Jesus preached. He is a king who brought a kingdom. And that message, the kingdom culture, is diametrically opposed to the world's culture. Um, in the kingdom, there are certain principles that you and I live by as followers of Christ. And when we live by those principles, we bring heaven into the earth. Uh, and one of the areas that we bring heaven into the earth is through service. Jesus said, if you want to become great, which that tells me it's not wrong to want to become great, but you need to know how you do it. You do it through serving. And, and so we, we have made that 
a possibility here at Bethesda Church, the fourth step of our vision. We want to know God, find freedom, discover purpose. But the fourth step is that everybody who comes to this church can make a difference by serving on the dream team. Hit your neighbor and tell them, get in the game. All right, so on a practical level, most of us, though, when we talk about serving, serving does not make our top 10 list. Usually taking takes our top 10 or makes our top 10 list that we want uh, to receive, we want blessing, we want to take. Uh, but in the kingdom, we are called to serve. The problem is, is that we have an entertainment-based culture that wants to come to church and watch a show. We want lights and music and we want it to sound good and we want a good message to inspire us. But that's not the way the kingdom works. We hope that you benefit from the worship and receive something from the message. But at the end of the day, we want you to apply it to your life and start investing your life into someone else. Why? Your life is a seed. Jesus said it like this. Those who find their life know how to lose their life. So, so what, what is Jesus talking about? Those who find know how to lose their life. He's talking about people who don't live selfishly. He's talking about people who invest their lives into someone else. He also said that, that um, our life is a seed. In, in, in this fact, he said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if that seed falls to the ground and dies, it produces a great harvest. A lot of people are living what I call a small and unfruitful life, and the reason is because they live only for themselves instead of living for others. Your life is a seed. Some people refuse to plant themselves in the lives, invest themselves in the lives of other people to make them better. Uh, I, I, here's the way I, I would say it. If you will invest your life through service, Okay, and what I mean by that, you're willing to bless people that do not have the potential to bless you back. You're not doing it for what you can get out of it. You're doing it to make them better. Then what happens is, is your life is multiplied. That you start living a fruitful life. Now, here's a, a first point. I want you to really grab this. Self-absorbed people live unfulfilled and unsatisfied lives. Self-absorbed people live unfulfilled and unsatisfied lives. Why? Because satisfaction and fulfillment never come through taking. It only comes through giving. It only comes through serving. And, and so if you have been raised to be a taker all the days of your life, uh, you may have a bunch of stuff in your pocket, but you're going to have a hole in your soul. All right? Does that make sense? I know I got a small group of people. I know this place is not crowded, but I, I will need some help. I've preached an hour, two services, and I don't have another one coming now. Can you imagine what might happen in this service? We may be here till Tom Brady takes the field, okay? No, I'm just kidding. We've got to get the food ready, all right? Um, so if we can make something happen for, happen for other people, our life is multiplied. The Scripture says it's better to give than it is to receive. So the person who walks in, in a mindset where they only want to receive, they never understand blessing. They may be able to accumulate houses and cars and a pocket full of money, but if they don't understand the power of giving and serving, they may have stuff but still have a hole in their soul, okay? That's the point that I'm making. So we live in this entertainment culture, and it has to be challenged. The kingdom message challenges the entertainment 
uh, church in America where everybody comes, occupies a seat, and listens, listens to an inspirational message, and, and then we go home. I'm glad that Bethesda Church exists to make you better and that we place a demand on the gifts in you so that it's not a one-man show. It's about you and I doing something together that we could not accomplish alone. All right, So I, I celebrate the fact that we have teamwork here at Bethesda Church because the Apostle Paul said you and I are living stones fitted together to, to become a house where God dwells. The problem in the church is that the church has become, instead of living stones, we have become a pile of rocks. Not fitted together, we're just our own pile of rocks. And we're not fitted together becoming a place where God dwells, a place where God is moving. And it applies not only to the church, it applies to your home. The first day your marriage goes south is the day you wake up and say, what's in the marriage for me? I promise you, you're headed to divorce. Because marriage isn't about what it, what it is for you. Marriage is what do you bring to the table to make your spouse's life better. And when you live not selfishly, but selflessly, then your marriage gets better. The same is true in the church. Now, how many know anybody that's had marriage trouble before, somebody was selfish? Karen and I have had problems. And she'd probably tell you, and she's probably right. Nine times out of ten, it's because I'm selfish. How many know it happens, right? It happens. When, when you start living, like, what can they do for me, you're out of place. Jesus is the greatest leader who ever lived, and what did he do? He served first. He led the way. While they're arguing about who's the greatest, he girded himself with a towel, and the Son of God knelt down to wash their stinking feet. What was he showing us? This is how relationships work. This is how marriage works. This is how the church works. It's not about, you know, esteeming one person so that they do everything. It's about all of us coming with a servant's mentality to bring heaven into the earth. Now, we have to tie serving with diligence. Everybody say diligence. Look at Proverbs 13, 4. It says, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Look at a different translation. This is NIV. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. couple of things stick out. Solomon did not say the pocket of a lazy man desires and has nothing. He didn't say anything about his pocket. He said the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing. People who are diligent live fulfilled lives People who are lazy live unfulfilled lives. So the diligent person is made rich and is fully satisfied, which brings me back to this point. Empty people are selfish people. If you're living an empty life, if there's a hole in your soul, you're probably living a selfish life. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? The first mass deliverance of God was delivering people off of a system. I'm not against the government aiding and helping people and, and, and wealth. I, I'm not against all that, but you need to know that's not meant to be your bread and butter the day you're born till the day you die. It's meant to sustain you in a bad season. Don't throw anything. So God delivered them off a system. And the system was, Pharaoh said, when you get up, Pharaoh said, when you go to bed, 
Pharaoh told them how much money they could make. And when you are tied to a system and you don't let God rise out of you, listen, you will remain empty. God does not want the world to dictate your potential. God does not want that. He wants your potential not to be determined by a system, but be de- to be determined by him and, and what he has placed on the inside of you. Sometimes it's hard to break free from the system that keeps you boxed in. But understand this about systems. Systems may sustain you for a season, but it cannot promote you to the next level. As long as I want a system to take care of me, I'm never going to graduate to the next level. It's good preaching. God has another level for you. But if you want to be boxed into a system, then that's your life. Okay? God has more for you. The soul of a man, not the pocket of a man, remains empty as long as he or she remains lazy, but the soul of a diligent man is satisfied. Now, this is so important. We, we, we have to look at the diligent person. I, I've met diligent people. I, I, I like to look at myself as a diligent person. I, I'm, I was brought up in a coal miner's home. I, I understand working hard, and, and, and if you're going to have anything in life, you better invest something in life. That You don't just sit with a handout. you got to be diligent. you got to do something. If you don't like your life, then do something about it. That was the kind of culture I was raised in. But when you look at a diligent person, uh, that person is someone who gives immediate attention to an instructed task. And what I mean by that, a diligent person, if I give them an instruction, they don't say, I'll get to that. They don't say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. If you're diligent and can do it today, guess what you're going to do? You're going to get it done. You're going to be diligent. You're, and a diligent person, the thing that, that's so unique about a diligent person, what, the reason I love diligent people around me is because I can give them a task and I don't have to call back and check in on it. I know that the task will be done. It'll be done the way I want it done. And I don't have to call to check in. I don't have to call them. If I have to call you seven times to get one thing, you can promise this. You won't work here and, and I won't ask you to do anything else. How many like diligence? Oh my, I'm in the wrong building. Now, diligent people also know how to do a small thing for a long time to get a big impact. It's like they understand the drip of water that keeps dripping on a rock. It may take a while, but little by little, day after day, week after week, month after month, how many know that drip of water will eventually change the formation of the rock? See, the diligent people understand that all breakthrough is not overnight. Some breakthrough comes by doing the right thing for a long time. It comes from doing a little thing. Listen, if you want to fix your marriage, it's probably not going to happen because you have a kumbaya moment and everything's better. It's going to happen because you keep dripping the right stuff every day. Man, I am preaching today. It's because you're doing the right thing consistently, and it will create a great marriage. So people go through life, and they leave no difference on the world. They have zero mark on the world, and their soul is always in want. 
And, and it doesn't mean that they don't have anything. You can be wealthy and experience the same thing. It's like the true story of the businessman who he would buy uh, companies and buildings. He would buy them and sell them for profit. And he had done extremely well. He'd become extremely wealthy, millionaire several times over. He's buying and selling, buying and selling, doing really well. And one day his lawyer comes in and says, we just closed on another deal and here's what you made. The businessman stared off into space. The lawyer was confused. Aren't you happy? This is what we do. We make money. Why aren't you celebrating? Why aren't you happy? And the businessman stopped, turned to the side, looked at his lawyer, and he made the comment. He said, we're not helping anybody. Whose life are we making better? So he's got millions of dollars in the bank. He can walk out of his office and buy anything he wants, yet he has a hole in his soul. Because he's not making anybody else's life better. Serving. Jesus' disciples, they, so interesting to me that they argued over who was the greatest. And Jesus was left out of the conversation. Can you imagine walking with Jesus and you're talking about who's the greatest and he's not even a part of it? It's like, hey, why don't we all just stop arguing about who's, who the greatest is and let's just acknowledge he's the greatest. A mom of two of the disciples comes in and says, who, Jesus, gets to sit at your right hand? You know what she's really asking? Which one of my boys going to sit beside you in your kingdom? And Jesus made this statement in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. He said, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Serving is the pathway to promotion. Servanthood is the gateway to promotion. It's natural and it's spiritual. It works in the kingdom. It works at your job. You can serve your way into leadership. You can serve your way into greatness. You can serve your way into promotion. Jesus said, if you suffer with me, you will also reign with me. You know what Jesus was saying? He's like, if you can hang around when it's tough, then you're also going to have authority with me when this is over. Don't you appreciate the people that hung in with you when life wasn't good? He said, if you suffer with me, you will also reign with me. Serving is the key to your future. Leaders always pursue you if you are diligent in serving. Now, Bethesda Church is not a big organization, but it's not a small one either. And I'll be honest with you, the people that I promote are the ones who serve diligently. We've hired people right here at Bethesda from within the congregation where we didn't have to post a job online and take resumes. We saw people who were diligent, who served well, who when given a task would not only take the task, but they would do it amazing. And and you didn't have to worry about it. And then before you know it, they got a job here full time. How does that happen, Pastor Jay? Pastor Jay is on staff now. He served his way into leadership. He served his way into a place of full-time ministry. I don't, I don't promote the ones that take an instruction and then we got to fix it seven times. I don't promote the loudest, the flashiest, or even the most talented, but I will promote the diligent. Okay? The problem is, is that those people are rare. Very rare you find somebody that's extremely diligent. See, but, but, but what you need to know is you can only be promoted 
by the person who gave you the instruction. So maybe you ought not be saying all that about the boss man. If he gave you the instruction, he's the one in power to promote you. Serve him well. Serve her well. See, we think promotion just comes from God. The Bible doesn't say promotion comes from God. The Bible says promotion comes from above. So how can you be promoted if there's nothing above you? Don't make me drop the mic and walk on out of here. How can you be promoted when there's nothing above you? There's nobody you're serving well. See, God has qualified someone to connect you from where you are to where God wants you in life. You have to discern who that person is and serve them well. And here's a truth you got to get. It is more important who you follow than who you lead. Jesus said if you serve well, you will also lead well. You know how Jesus determines who his leaders are? By watching them serve. He sees who's diligent, who serves well, who can take an instruction and get it done. Many of us, though, we sit on the sidelines and we want our big ship to come in, but we won't row our boat. You won't work at your current job because it's not your dream job. I want to inform, your, 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 inform you, your dream job's not coming if you can't do well at your current job. This church was not my dream church when I became pastor. I had envisioned a whole lot more. Come on, somebody, don't shout at me and throw anything. Wasn't, but, but how many of you got to work your window? You got, you got to work where you are, serve where you are. Big doors swing on small hinges. We ignore the little hinges, hinges in life because we all want that big door. But you should always be helping somebody succeed. Now, let's go to Exodus 17, and this is where we're going to get tough. Exodus 17, Israel has come out of Egypt, yeah, they've come out of Egypt, but the leadership structure that they were operating in was um, outdated, and it was time for a change in their structure. Check this out, Exodus 17. It said, all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Verse 2. Therefore the people contended with Moses. I want us to take that in. You need to see that. The people contended with their leader. Okay? They're upset. It says, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the Lord and the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people. Now, i got to stop here. The indication is, God says, I want you to go on before the people. The indication is, is that Moses was amongst the people. He was with them, amongst them. And God said, I need you to get out from among them, and I need you to go before them. Let's keep reading. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also, take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. This is verse 8. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight. Fight with Amalek. 
Now, hit your neighbor and tell your neighbor, we need some fighters. All right. Tomorrow, I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did, as Moses said to him. I want you to catch that. Joshua did, as Moses said, he could take an instruction and get it done. Make sure you're here. He fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. One of the problems we have in the church is we have too many heavy-handed leaders. They have too many things they are trying to do all by themselves. So they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady. We, need, we don't need heavy-handed leaders. We need steady-handed leaders. They steadied his hands, all right, till the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. A few things that stand out. We'll try to do this quickly. Most of the time, your greatest pain will come from the people you are trying to help. I've had to learn this the hard way. The people that I help the most are the ones that usually cause me the most grief. That's the way pastoring is. The people you help fight against you. Moses spends all this time delivering them out of a system and out of bondage and the first person they turn on in the wilderness is the one who led them out. And Moses is thinking, why are y'all contending with me? I've, been, I'm, I've spent all this time fighting with Pharaoh. I don't have time to fight with you. I've been trying to help you. But they couldn't see it. They contended with him. And what we have to know is that we do have in the church world a lot of heavy-handed leaders who are worn out that do not have steady hands because there's not enough support. They have more contentions than they have people there to steady things out. And so that's something that in the kingdom we have to challenge, something that we have to be opposed to, that we're not going to operate that way. And, and so the people want to kill Moses, but let's be honest, Moses wanted to kill this people too. Right? We always think, I'll kill that pastor. You need to know the pastor sometimes thinking he'd like to kill you too. All right? That's just the truth. All right? So the contentions happened. It was a real thing. And what we learn from that is that anytime there is growth, it creates battles. That the leadership and the structure you use at one level will not be the leadership and the structure you will use at the next level. And so as our church has grown, my first month as pastor, we had an average of 73 people. Now we are a church of well over 1,000 people. And, and here's what I will tell you about that. As we've grown from the 75 to 1,000 people, it has created battles not with the devil, but with people. I, let me explain. I know you want to know why, right? See, a lot of people will come to our church at this stage in the vision and especially if they have a church background. You know the people I have the least problem out of are the people who've never done church at all. And they get saved and come in here. They have no expectations at all. But it's the people who grew up in a church of 50 people who come here and they think Bethesda should just be a bigger version of what I was in. Now how many know that can't happen? Not even possible. The ladies can help me out. 
The ladies watching online, the people here won't help me, you help me. Um, the ladies will tell you that you can't take a baby from one month to full term at nine months and your figure stay the same. Come on, that structure is going to change. And some of you are like, yeah, it changed, and I ain't never got it back, preacher. Right? I ain't never got it back. Now, and, and the reason, come on, walk with me for a minute. Growth, listen, growth changes the structure of a thing. You cannot grow big and keep the same structure. If I were to sit on this table, I think it would hold me. I'm not certain, but I think it would. But here's what I do know. If I were to sit on this table and then ask Pastor Jay to sit on my lap and ask Brent to sit on his lap, how many of eventually the weight will cause the table to collapse unless we do something to support the structure, to support the growth? It will collapse under the weight. You cannot keep adding people and their baggage and their marriage issues and their addictions and all their hang-ups and not change the structure and continue to operate like a one-man show because as you keep adding the weight, you better be building the structure so that you can sustain the weight. I meet pastors all the time. Oh, I would love 200 new people coming this Sunday. Just I'd love to double this year. No, they don't. And the reason I I know they don't is because they're not willing to add to the structure to sustain the harvest and God does not entrust his people and his leaders he doesn't entrust them with the harvest if they're not willing to work on the structure I got a small group in here but I'm gonna preach it anyhow this is why most pastors quit before age 40 they're out why? Because they're burnt out, their family's mad, their spouse is mad. Why? Because they've been doing it all. And it's burnt them out, it's killed their relationships. For a lot of guys, it's killed and ruined their marriage. And they're trying to lead people and help them, and they're, and they've, they're losing their own marriage. Because there is an expectation placed on the leader that he's not even, he, he can never fulfill all those expectations. He's, he's going to disappoint. And so, most pastors quit. And the reason they quit is because the people refuse to let them change. We've lost more people over that than any other reason. We've grown by a lot. Absolutely, we've grown by a lot, but we've lost a ton. And it's usually the ones that didn't like the fact that we had to do it differently. If I cannot have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with my pastor, I'm going to find me a church where I can. Bye-bye. I'm sorry, I can't have a one-on-one -on -one with a thousand people. It's not even possible. The fact that people would think that is a justifiable expectation is ludicrous at best. It's proven that a pastor's maxed out at 70 people. 70. So the day I started, I was maxed out. And that means, that means if at 70, if he knows their names, their spouse's names, and their children's names, he's killing it. At 70. 
I've had people get mad because I forgot a name in a thousand. I'll be like, I can't remember everyone. I guess y'all could pray for me a better mind. I'm trying. But to move from a family to a kingdom, we have to move from being buddies to being like an army. And this is where the rubber meets the road because you can't function on a buddy system because we are called to function under command, which means you go here and you go there and you get the food ready and you open the doors and you scrape the parking lot and you clean off the cars and you hold the signs and you connect the guests and you visit the hospital and need you to pay the insurance and you to meet with the team leader and you to counsel that couple and need you to organize the store and you to get the sermon bumper video ready. We need you to meet with the architects and you to hit the lights and we need you to pull the volume down and we need you to run social media and we need you to run the website and you to check in the kids. We are an army operating under command. That means that we all are doing different things, but it's to accomplish the vision. Leadership principle. Contention is not a bad thing. We always look, I used to look at every contentious moment in this church as a bad thing. Contention is not bad. Contention is an indicator that change is necessary. So it's not even that we got to cast the devil out of that person. No, it's an indicator that we need to change some things because if we don't, we can't support the weight. It's like the, the, the light that comes on in your car, that check engine thing that you've been ignoring for two years. That light, when it comes on, it doesn't mean that your car is getting ready to be broke down on the side of the road. But how many know if you continue to ignore it, eventually it will put your car on the side of the road. So contention is that light going off saying, you better change. You better change. There's a reason why people are mad. There's a reason why there is contention. And so the people started contending with Moses, and God did not tell Moses, go rebuke the devil. God knew it wasn't the devil. He knew it was people and a leadership issue. So God told Moses, hey, Moses, um, I know you're mad and you want to kill all them people, but they way outnumber you. And at the end of the day, all you really need to do is to change your leadership style and structure. And if you'll change it, this will work itself out. The way you've been leading, Moses, will no longer work. You've been doing it all by yourself. You've become the answer for every need. Every problem, they had to meet with Moses. Can you imagine three everything that came up, Moses had to speak to it? And it was going on and on and on, and Moses is ready to kill himself. And, and, and so he's upset, but, but the other problem wasn't just that Moses was burned out. The other problem was is that the people he was leading were, were spiritually dwarfed because he placed no demand on their gifts to help meet the needs to help them move from the wilderness into the promised land. He didn't mobilize anybody else to help facilitate what God was doing. Jesus told Peter, James, and John, he said, when you, when you fish here, he said, I, I don't want you to just cast your rod. He said, I want you to cast your nets, which symbolic of one pastor meeting the needs of all the people is not even biblical. Not cast a rod, it's cast your nets. I don't want to be the church who casts the rod 
I want to be the church that casts the nets. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, cast your net. Now, the result is, is that when we don't mobilize the people, not only do the needs are not being met, because one person can't meet all the needs, but nobody's coming into their potential either. And I want you to understand my heart. When a preacher or a pastor starts a church or assumes the role of lead pastor of a church of, let's just say, since that's where we started, of 70 people, how many of that, would, that guy would be a fool to pastor 70 the same way I'm pastoring 1,000? Right? I hope he'd be smart enough to know you don't pastor 70 the same way you do 1,000. And there's some learning and some growth that, that has to take place in that. Ten years ago, I want you to get this. This is where I'm going. When I first became pastor, I spent all of my time with the people. I spent all of my time doing everything that needed done. Every visit, every video, every, I mean, you name, I did it all. I mean, I even came and would, I would I even scrape the parking lot myself before I would preach. All right? I, I'm, I'm saying when I did everything, I did it all 10 years ago. Everything I could do, I would do it. I, and, and I think there is a season where you do a lot more, okay? There is a season where you have to be with the people a whole lot more. But as we grew, I could not be with all the people all the time because as we changed the structure and released new people to meet some of the needs that I had been meeting, what we have to understand is the people we endorsed and released, they started smelling like me. And what, what, what do you mean? There is a season that the shepherd has to be with the sheep. Why? Because he has to prove he's legit. He's got to prove he's someone worth following. But here's the cool thing. As you spend time with people and you raise them up and you disciple them and you release them to go and do what you were doing, they, they, they've not only picked up on your scent and know you're worth following, they start smelling like you. Which means at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who comes and sees you at the hospital, whether it's me or like some people say, oh, he sent one of his guys. The same anointing. That anybody who does anything here is an extension of what God is doing at Bethesda. And it doesn't matter who preaches the sermon, who visits the hospital, who leads and does the solo. If we are all submitted to one vision, there is a corporate anointing on the house. And it doesn't matter if you get me or somebody who's only been here three weeks. If they are called to the house, they are an extension of the house. I'm going to have to take this message on the road. Listen, there is a season, as a leader, you got to be with the people. But there is also a season where you got to be like Moses and get in front of the people. If you stay too long with the people, they become so familiar with you that they can no longer see you as their leader. They start to see you as their buddy. And if you become my buddy you won't allow me to be your pastor. The people that can be my friend and allow me to pastor them are extremely rare. And this is another one of those hurdles that have burnt me because as I was with the people, developing relationships with the people, and then I needed to be their pastor, when I spoke as the pastor, they wanted the friend and got their feelings hurt, and they waved bye-bye. 
So I had to make a decision. What do the people need most? A buddy or a man of God, a pastor? And what I learned is a lot of people who said they wanted a pastor really wanted a buddy. This is also the challenge of marriage. Think about this. There are very few people who can see your weaknesses and still receive from you. Listen, if you hang out with me 24-7, you're going to see issues. There are times if you hang out with me long enough, and my staff have seen it, that I'm short and I'm snippy with Pastor Karen, and you think, man, he ain't a good husband. But you saw me in one week moment. Come on, somebody, help me. Don't act like you're holy and come on. And then you can no longer receive from that. It's just like in marriage. Think about this. Your husband, he's got all kinds of issues, and all the ladies said, Amen, right? He's got all kinds of issues, but you don't follow him because he's perfect. You follow him because that's the order of God, which means you're going to support and love even in his flaws. And that works with the wife as well. Nobody throw anything, okay? So God tells Moses, he said, you've been with them long enough. I need you to go before them. And as we made that transition, y'all got 20 more minutes? I need to get this word out or it's going to kill me. I feel like I've cut it short twice already. When we made this transition, it was the bumpiest ride I had ever experienced. The day I quit being everyone's friend and decided to be their pastor, it was a a bumpy ride, but a necessary ride for us to grow. For us to ever reach more people, And be what we are, it was a necessary ride. The problem is, is that sheep do not understand that separation. And I'm not saying they're supposed to understand it at first. That's why there was contention with Moses. Contention's not bad, it's showing you change is necessary. So there were people who didn't understand the separation. And, and, you know, you don't hear exactly verbatim what people are thinking. But here, in a nutshell, here's what people are thinking when we made this change. Oh, He's too big for his britches. He's become arrogant. He used to hang out and eat hot dogs with us 24-7. Now he don't show up. And you don't realize I'd eaten so many hot dogs that I'd gained 50 pounds. Spent all last year taking it back off. Some people are like, "I, I, I remember when Pastor used to come to every birthday party in our family. Now, look at it from my point of view with over a 1,000 people. When I come to everybody in your family's birthday party, and then the next time I'm invited, I'm busy, that family's now mad. So you know what I had to do? I stopped going to all of them. If I can't do a 1,000, I can't do any. Come on, somebody. You, have to, you got to make the change. you got to make the change. Not easy. Not easy. And, and this is going to really tie together spiritually for you in a minute. Because a lot of people, I remember when Pastor done this. I remember when he done that. I remember when he was just my friend. He was just my buddy. But what they can't see, and they're not supposed to see, we have to help people see it. My staff does a great job of helping people see it, is that when God takes me higher, it's because he's trying to take you higher. If God is giving me more influence, 
and I can't be there for everything for everybody, you know what it literally means? It means he's trying to give you more influence because as I step out of the role of doing into the role of leading, there are now vacancies of what I used to do that it's time for you to step up and do, which means there's a place for you. I've been a part of churches where the pastor did it all, and there wasn't a place. He wanted you to sit there, shut up. I'm glad that we have a vision where people can be involved. I'm glad we don't make people wait seven years before they can serve. There is a place for every person. It means that as I move out of the role of doing into the role of leading, there are vacancies. It also means that that is the point that it's time for you to do for someone else what has been done for you. Man, it, are you getting anything out of it? It means that if somebody took time to disciple and develop you, you are now turning around instead of saying, I want pastor's time. I want one-on-one. I want him to be my buddy. No, you don't have time for all that because you're developing and discipling somebody else. Okay? So a few things happen when we, when we move into that. And, and one of the things that happens is that the empty places in your life are now fulfilled because you move from being a taker to a giver. Contention is normal when people work together. Um, and, and this happens in child rearing. You're raising a child, there will eventually come an age that the child will contend against you as a parent. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They will contend. They'll, they'll rebel somewhat. And, and it's at that point you got to decide, am I their buddy or am I mama? Am I their, am I, am I their friend or am I dad? How many, there's a point you got to step up and be the parent, not just the friend. So God said to Moses, they're becoming contentious, Moses, because they are too familiar with you. Every leader, every pastor will arrive at a fork in the road, and you got to decide what do the people need more. Do they need me to be there for everything they ever have going on, and i got to be there for all of them, or do they need me to be their leader? Because the same people that want you to hang out and eat pizza and hot dogs 24-7 and just hang out and have the one-on-one time all the time, those same people, they want that until they need a miracle. And then they don't want the guy who eats hot dogs and pizzas. They want the guy that can pray in a miracle. And that is a tough thing to navigate. That is a tough thing to, to, I don't know, figure out, and, and, and so I want to make it easy on you. I'd rather be your pastor. I would rather be your leader. I would rather be the one who says this is where we're going and, and have no problem, you know, praying in a miracle with you and for you and releasing you to, to be that for someone else. I, I, I would much rather be that than us just all sitting around a campfire singing kumbaya. So God speaks to Moses. He tells him, The people need a leader, Moses. Problem is, you're too close. They can't receive you because they're too familiar with you. And so this is where the kingdom has to really come into play here. He said, I want you to go before the people, and when the battle comes, Moses, I want you to go high on the hill. I want you to take Aaron and her with you. 
And I want you to lift your arms, and I want Aaron and her to support you. I don't want you to be heavy-handed anymore. It was a spiritual symbol. I don't want you being heavy-handed and tired and worn out. I want your hands supported. I want the work. You know what? The hands represent the work. It means the work is being supported. So I want people to support the work, and then I'm going cre- to have Joshua and his crew to go on the front lines and be the fighters. And as Joshua is fighting the battle and your hands are supported, the ministry is supported, Israel will prevail. Now this is really cool because good leadership is training people to walk in the same victory you walk in. Good leadership is not leaving you ignorant and dependent. Good leadership is giving you wisdom and making you independent, that you don't, you don't need me to do it for you. I don't mean like we're disconnected. You just don't need anybody doing it for you. You've learned how to work the word for yourself. Now, a couple more minutes. Y'all got it? So if you need, all right, someone to do everything for you, it means that you are locked in the childhood of your faith. You're going to be stunted. You only get strong by exercising your muscles. There's some guys who lift a lot of weight around here. I'm looking at one of them right here. He lifts a ton of weight. I don't get strong watching his videos. He can lift a lot of weight. I can watch you 24-7. You know what? It won't make me strong. Until I get up under some weight and exercise my muscles, I can watch him till the cows come home. It won't change my life at all. I'm going to have to find myself laying on a bench pumping some iron. And we got a lot of people who've been holding a seat down for 20 years wondering why they're not growing in their faith. Because you can't grow in your faith watching me. Oh, my goodness. So, Joshua, you're my field men. You're going to fight. Moses was wise enough to know who his fighters were and who his support people were. I mean, not everybody's a fighter. But you got to find, I, I got some fighters in this church. I got some people that will go to battle, not just for me, they'll go to battle for the vision of this church. If it's challenged, you better watch it. There's some people that will give you down the road if you challenge the vision in this church. They are, they're like Joshua. Joshua was always fighting, always starting a fight, all, always about a fight. Even when the angel of the Lord showed up, Joshua pulled his sword out and said, are you with us or against us? Like God showed up. He's ready to fight God. You need some fighters, some people that are willing to fight. And and, and what we need to know is when people are out of place, they cause contention. Man, that'll preach. That's a book right there. When people are out of place, they cause contention. When contentions arise, we think oftentimes that person is full of the devil. No, they're not full of the devil. They wanted to sing a solo on the worship team, and they can't sing. And we told them, you're not allowed to sing. It's not a devil. All right? You got somebody greeting at the front doors or at guest services, and they haven't smiled in three years. They just got a bad personality. Now listen, if you got a bad personality, there's still a place for you. But it's not with the people. We have some back offices and office work. We'll put you there away from the people all by yourself and let you go to work on a computer. Like, don't let them out. Don't let them around people. They'll kill us. 
If our first-time guests see that face, they ain't coming back. So we got a place for you in the back. There's a place for everybody. Moses was wise because he didn't tell Aaron to fight. He asked Aaron to support. He told Joshua to fight because that's what Joshua was. Even, Even as crazy as Peter was in the New Testament, Jesus didn't get rid of him. Now think about that. Peter's crazy. Like he's cussing, denying God, cutting people's ears off, jumping out of boats under the water. He's doing all that, and Jesus never gets rid of him. You know why? God knows we need some crazy folk. I need some ear-chopping-off people, some jumping-out-of-a-boat kind of people that can help us do what God has called us to do. So Joshua was a fighter, hands-on people, and, and we need that because here's the deal. I can't get my hands on 200 kids on a Sunday morning, but our big kids dream team can get their hands on 200 kids. I can't get my hands on guitars and keyboards and drums, but we have a worship team that can get their hands on guitars, drums, and keyboard. I can't get my hands on 50 small groups and lead all those, but we got 50 small group leaders that can get their hands. Come on, we need some people that can support the work and people to fight for the vision. Now, I'm going to illustrate this. And, then, uh, and even at this level, some people, they don't, they don't understand the people running around with a radio and something in their ear. Those are the people, listen, that, that all the crazy that happens here on some Sundays, they're the reason why you don't hear about it. Why they got an earpiece? Why are they on radio? Because they're crazy people come to a church this size. And they're watching out for your safety. How many of there are people that are wired for that kind of stuff? Like if you, if you tried something, they're going to karate chop you, and you're going to be in the hospital. They're going to mess you up. So to illustrate this, Mike, come up on the platform with me. Pastor Jay, come up here. Ernie, come up here. Brent, come on. You knew I was going to grab you. Come on. I'm, I'm almost, I promise I'm going to let you go home. You got to get food ready. You got to watch Tom Brady. Eagles, maybe? I don't know. Come here, Mike, right in the center. You're going to be my Moses because you're tall. Everybody say Moses. All right, the Bible says Moses had to go up on the top of the hill, and as his hands were in the air, so lift your hands high, just straight up. Don't take him down for whatever reason. Brent, come over here. No, 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 Brent, you're a fighter up here. This is my fighter right here. This is a Joshua right here. Come on, Pastor Jay. You are support staff, so this is perfect. Ernie, Aaron and her, check this out. Now, walk, now, now, what I need you to do, just get in like a defensive position. There we go. He's a good ba- This guy can play basketball. All right. You have hands up, Moses. Hands under. Ernie, you got to help hold his arms up. He'd get tired, heavy-handed. We need steady-handed. All right. So we got Pastor Jay. We got Ernie. They are Aaron and her. They're supporting the ministry, supporting Moses by holding his hands up. And then you got Joshua. These are your front line. These are people you don't want to mess with. Joshua's out fighting as they support, and here's what happens. The people who are in support, okay, of Moses and the ministry, these people right here, they are large in number. There's a lot of people who support, but what you have to understand, you have to be very discerning because a lot of the people that are here, not these guys, they have great hearts, but a lot of these people are, even though they're great in number, they are disqualified because their heart's not right. Okay, listen, here's what I mean. I've been burned. I've been doing this a little while. There are some people who want to get close and say we're here to support, 
But they're not here to support. They're just here to get the inside scoop. All right? Y'all got to know church people. Church people messed up, okay? So we don't need people that just want to know the scoop. We need some people that really support, okay? Um, here's what I will tell you. Everyone can have Moses' anointing. Everyone. But not everyone can have Moses. Jesus' ministry touched thousands, thousands of people. But only 12 had Jesus. See, we want to combine the anointing with the person. You can't, you can't do that. Everybody, listen, I want to impact the world. Listen, I want to impact the world with the gifts God has given us. But here's what I want you to know. I, can't, I can give my anointing to everyone. But I can't give myself to everyone. Is this making sense? See, your gift... And you are not the same thing. Your gift is meant to be used. You are not meant to be used. All right? Everyone can have my gift, but everyone can't have me. People will, use your, will take your gift and use you. And you got to be careful because Aaron and her, they got close. And so as a leader, you got to be able to discern if they're here to really support or not. Now listen, because ministry, leadership, operating a business, how many know at any time these hands can get tired? They're helping him and his hands are still getting tired. Listen, what, what, what is God showing us with this? Hands up, hands under, hands on, all right? As long as we do it that way, this model will prevail. The reason Israel, I'm almost done. You guys don't get tired. The reason Israel prevailed, this is the longest I've preached in like five years. The reason, it, honest, I'm not even kidding. It's like four sermons in one. Um, the, the reason they prevailed was not because Moses was a great leader. It wasn't because Aaron and her were just incredible support people. And it wasn't even because Joshua was the greatest fighter on the planet. All right? You know why they won? Everybody knew their place, and they worked together. They were living stones, fitted together, accomplishing. Come on, if you believe it, give God a praise this morning. Come on. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You, you go back. Thanks for helping me. Appreciate you guys. Now, listen. Walk this out practically. The worship team, y'all can come. Do what y'all, they probably done went home. Um, we have altar calls. Listen, I'm gonna, I want to walk it out practically. We have altar calls, and people need ministry a lot of Sundays. Like you, you see the whole line of people all the way up here, all three services. I cannot effectively pray for each person with the proper amount of care that they need, all right? If I did that, if I did that, how many know we wouldn't be able to have three services because we'd be here a whole lot longer. The other thing I'm teaching you, if, I've got to, if every need who comes, I've got to pray for them, you know what I'm teaching you? I'm the only one anointed. The devil is a liar. Every person up here that prays for people have gifts, and two things happen when people come for prayer. They get to receive ministry that they need on a one-on-one -on -one level, and it also places a demand on people who are wanting to grow in their gift. So a lot of times I want to preach and get out of here because I want when I'm done doing what I'm doing and flowing in my gift, I want the altar workers to flow in their gift. 
If I wasn't, listen, if I wasn't a pastor, I'm trying to think, what would I do? I'd probably be in the parking lot. I probably would. I'd probably be the guy with the big, giant hands, dancing, making sure everybody saw a friendly face. Probably give, you know, all the kids high five. I'd probably keep candy. I'd drive the parents crazy. Because I love to help people. So if I wasn't doing this, I promise you I would find a way to help. I would be doing something to further the vision. The church should be full of people that are making things better. Where is the spirit of Aaron and her? That's the question I want to know. Where, where's the spirit that you can come into the house of God, and, and if this has been in you in the past, it's not going to be you in the future, so don't take it like that. How can we come into the house of God and walk by trash on the floor on our way to the seat? How do we just step over tissue paper and candy wrappers on our way into worship? Sometimes I can't worship because I see a piece of paper. My staff's trained now. They can't worship either. They see dirt, and they're, they're trying to scrub and hide stuff from y'all before they can worship. Why? Because we want to make everything better. Where is the spirit of... Why do we have to teach a greeter? If you see a single mom coming to church, and she's got a baby on her hip, she's got a three-year-old running like crazy, and, and, and another kid lagging behind, why do we sit inside the doors and think to ourselves, when she gets in here, I'll give her a connect, a connect group guide? What stupidity. Yes, she really needs another thing in her hand. Why do we have to be taught to go and help? We ought to run out there to make that easy for her. That's the spirit that, that I believe God wants to put on this house. I believe it's already here. I just believe this year he wants to multiply it. You say, well, pastor, can't you do all that? Yeah, I can, but if I do, I got I to gotta pull my hands down. Man, this church, this message, we may have to do it again. I may have to wait for everybody's behinds to be in those seats because I don't know if they're really watching or not. All over this building, we have Joshua's, but you're not fighting. All, let's do it a different way because we got a ton of snow. Tons of people watching online that are Joshua's, but you're not fighting. Tons of people watching online, and you got an Aaron or her spirit, but you're not supporting. This is our year. This is our kingdom year. This is our all-in year. We want to talk about a thousand people coming to church, but I want to talk about a thousand people serving. What would happen? Amen. Stand to your feet. I got to quit. I got more in me, but I got to quit right there. People ask all the time. How do you reach all them people in such a small community? How do you do it? Hands up, hands under, and hands on. I'm not reaching it by myself. We're doing something together. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads for just a moment. Those watching online as well, I just want to speak to anyone that, maybe you're just not in a right relationship with Jesus. You need to make him the Lord of your life. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. If you're under the sound of my voice and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? If there's anyone at all, you need to make things right with God. 
If you're watching online, there's a button there. If you would just click it and say, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. We would love to pray with you and for you. Anyone at all. Thank you for giving me your attention over these last however long that was. That was a long time. What I would say to you if you're not serving, the next time we do next steps, get in there and get on a team and make a difference. Become great by serving. And I believe we're going to do it much more together than we ever could alone. I think we ought to end with just giving God a big praise today. Can you give God a praise today? Come on. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a great day. Have a great time watching the Super Bowl and don't eat too much. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.